the positive promises of God are tremendous. We all love God's promises. I don't think there's anybody that if they were honest and they looked at what I call the, the, the positive promises of the Lord that would not say, I love the promises of God. Now, why do you call them the positive promises? Because there are some negative promises that will have negative effects on us that... You know, where God said, if, you, if you'll do this, then I will bless you in this way. But if you don't, then this is what's going to happen. Now, that is a promise. But it has negative effects, you know, upon us. And I do believe that God desires to do good things for His people. And this is, this is not a, a prosperity gospel statement. But Scripture bears witness to two great things about God. And and one of those is, God is a good God. Amen. And anybody acknowledge, God is a good God. His word bears out. The, The psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 33 and verse number 5, it says, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is Full of the goodness of the Lord. Think about what he's saying. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 34 and 8 makes this statement. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. The old prophet Nahum wrote in Nahum chapter 1 in verse number 7. He said, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And He knoweth them that trust in Him. Again, over and over and over, we see the premise of Scripture that talks about God being a good God. The second thing that Scripture bears out about God is God desires to bless His people. Because again, the psalmist in chapter 3 and verse number 8 has this to say, Salvation belongs unto the Lord, and thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. He says again in Psalm 24 and 5, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. The point being Him receiving blessing from the Lord. And again in Psalm 133 in verse number 3. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded The blessing. And then he identifies the blessing. Even life forevermore. So we we see again that scripture is replete with the fact that, uh, that God is a good God. And God desires to bless his people. 
So when God made a promise to Abram, it surely must have been quite an exciting time because the promise that God made to him was what we would call an everlasting covenant. When, when God established his covenant with Abram, it was going to last forevermore. So the, the covenant contained the promise of great blessings for Abram and his descendants. Look at it in the first part of chapter number 12. Number two, and in verse number 2, God told Abram, I will make you a great nation. In verse number 2, he says again, I will bless you. And in verse number 2, the I will is implied, make your name great. And then also in that second verse, God tells him, you shall be a blessing. Now, when you look at what God said in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12, and, and, and these are, you would have to admit, positive promises from God that has been made to Abram. I'm going to, bless, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. And I will curse them that curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We would look at that and we would have to say, God is good and God wants to bless His people. The stipulation for the covenant to be in effect was God's requirement for Abram in verse number 1, to get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. While it seems simple enough, what God requires of His people can be quite unnerving to those who have had no prior relationship with Him. Think about it with me for a moment. God was requiring Abram to leave everything that was familiar to him. Now, while we can look at Abraham and or Abram in this case and and we can read on down through the chapter, you know, there and and look at the failure of Abram and 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 we can compare what he actually did uh, at one point in his life to everything that God promised him if he would just do these things. And we look at that and we, we wonder, well, why did he fail? Why did he falter? But let me ask you a question. As we kind of asked some weighty questions in our, in our Bible lesson earlier, if God were to tell you to get out of your country and leave your entire family. Get out of your father's house. And you go to a place that you have never seen before. That I'm going to show you. How many of you would be sitting ready. Jumping up and down and saying I'm ready to go. Think about it. God required him to leave everything that was familiar to him. He said, get out of your country. 
This is where he was raised. Those, these hills and these valleys and these flatlands is where he played with his friends as a child. This is where he hunted, he fished, he camped with, with buddies. The, the surrounding territory was familiar to him, but to leave it is what God required. He had establishment there. He, he, he had a history in that part of the world. And yet God is saying, I want you to leave your country. Now people have left the place of their raising for less you know, than, than following after God or following after the promises of God. And they, they have left for less than that. But yet this is what God was requiring of Abram. He said, leave your country. And then he said, leave your family. Leave your family, Abram. This, this was hard. It, it had to be hard. Leave his father and mother. Leave his brothers. Leave his cousins. And all those associated with the family. They, they were the people he grew up with. He played with. He worked with. He fought with. And he even loved. But to leave them behind was, was not to be an easy task. But, but yet centuries later, Jesus would say, and Matthew recorded His words in Matthew 10 and verse number 37, He that loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So in essence, what we see here of, of Abraham's call is similar to, to the call that God places upon those that would come to him in faith yet today. Because, because if, if it is required, God fully expects us to leave everything that is familiar to us to follow after him. So leave your, leave your land, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house. See, it's getting increasingly difficult for Abram because his father's house, this was Abram's safety. It was his security. His father's house was his covering. It was his future. The father's house could even secure his vocation for the rest of his life. But yet, this is what God is requiring of Abraham or Abram. You do these things and then I will make you a great nation. And then I will bless you. And then I will make your name great. And then I will bless them that bless you. And then I will curse them who curses you. And, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. But Abram, here's what is required. You have got to get out of your country. You've got to leave your family. And you've got to leave your father's house as hard as it may have been Abram obeyed the command of God to separate from everything familiar to him because verse number 4 tells us so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him so while obedience to God can 
often be a hard thing according to the flesh. Obedience does not go unnoticed by God. In fact, God rewards obedience to His commands. Amen. Because again in Scripture, in Exodus 19 and 5, we find the word, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all of the earth is mine. Deuteronomy 5.29 Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Then we find in James chapter 1 in verse number 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The relationship with God began to grow as he continued in his obedience. And eventually, eventually he came to the land of Canaan in verse number 5. And he passed on through to Shechem in verse number 6. However, Abraham's obedience was no different than ours because with it, it had the potential of complications. Because Moses tells us in verse number 6 that and the Canaanites were in the land. Now, it's almost like Moses just interjects this. Coming out of nowhere. He's talked about God calling Abram. He's talked about the promise of Abram. He's talking about Abram's departure in obedience to the command of God. And then all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, he interjects this. And the Canaanites were then in the land. You need to be aware of the fact that there is an adversary who is always lurking around to influence your disobedience and rob you of the promises of God. He's always there. You, you never totally get away from Him. Can you defeat Him? Oh, yes, you can. Amen. But you're not going to annihilate Him. He's going to be a problem to you and to your obedience to God until that final time when He is condemned to the lake of fire with all of the fallen angels and all of those that reject Jesus Christ. He's going to constantly be lurking around trying to find some way that He can influence your disobedience to God. It began in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now the serpent, listen to this. The serpent was more subtle than any, somebody say any, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. God knows. 
You're not going to die by eating that. See, he's looking for any avenue that he can to influence disobedience to God. So even though the adversary is subtle, he's crafty, he's sly, and the list could go on and on. God has not left us without warning as to his intention. That is the, the adversary's intention. Because Peter writes to the church in, first, in, in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, verse 8 and 9. The warning from the Lord is, be sober and be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But look at verse number 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions that are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Listen, verse number 9 gives the key to successful resistance to the temptation to disobedience. Whom resist steadfast let's look at this this word resist in the Greek means to be hostile towards when you resist you resist someone or something you are in effect being hostile towards that now in this case in this context the one that we are to be hostile toward is the adversary of our soul. Because Peter has already warned us. He's lurking around. He's walking to and fro seeking whom he may devour. Who he can destroy. Who he can get a hold of. Who is it out there that is going to allow the adversary of their soul to affect their their obedience to God. And Peter said, you've got to resist. You've got to be hostile against Him. You've got to resist. You have got to oppose. You have got to set oneself against. You have got to rebel. Amen. To rebel. Can, can you get this in your mind? You've got to rebel against the rebeller. You've got to rebel. Satan is in rebellion against God. And, 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 and Peter is saying, look, you have got to rebel against the chief rebeller. You've got to resist him. You've got to come against. You've got to oppose. And you do this steadfastly. That word steadfastly means to be solid. To be strong. It is not soft. Amen. Can I tell you something? It takes, it takes someone strong that is not soft to stand against the rebellion of the adversary. Amen. Can I tell you, it is entirely possible for you to be successful in obeying God. Amen. Amen. I know we fail Him. But it is entirely possible for you to be successful in obeying God. In spite of the fact that there was possible opposition to Abram's obedience. That is the Canaanites. God did something He had never done to Abram until this time. The Bible said, getting to our text, or part of our text, that God appeared to Abram. 
previously he spoke to him. And said, I want you to leave your, your country and, and, and your family and your father's house. And, and Abram did exactly what God had required of him. And where he previously spoke to him, now God appears to Abram. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? God appears to Abram and reiterates the covenant promise previously given. Verse number 7, to your descendants I will give this land. Amen. This encounter resulted in a chain of events in the life of Abram. Some good and some bad. But it resulted in a chain of events. After God appeared to him and reiterated the covenant promise, what's the first thing that Abram did? Amen. Abram, the first thing he did, we find in verse number 7, was to build an altar to God who had appeared to him. God, after God left his presence, Abram said, we got to build an altar. Why are you going to build an altar? There's there's at least seven purposes for the reason that Abram built an altar to God on this occasion. Number one, to offer sacrifices to God. Asking forgiveness for unbelief and sin. Number two, to make a rededication to God. Renewing His commitment to God. Number three, to seek God's continued presence and guidance. Number four, to worship God. Amen. To worship the very very one who had met His need. Number five, to acknowledge the Lord. That God alone could fulfill so great a promise. That He was totally dependent upon the Lord. Number six, to praise the Lord. To praise Him for giving so wonderful a promise. Number seven, to testify to the Lord. To bear witness to the Lord's glorious goodness in meeting His need and in giving so great a promise. The point is that when God appeared to him, it created something in Abram to the point that he says, well, I've got to build an altar right here. I've got to worship God. I've got to sacrifice to the Lord. God has given these promises. Amen. But also God has taken the time to, to appear to me, to reiterate the promise that He had already given to me. So now we got to do something to acknowledge the goodness of the God that we are following. So Abram so Abram moved on. He moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So, so Abram moved on. He continued his pilgrimage. He built an altar to the Lord everywhere he went. He built an altar between Bethel and Ai, the very next place that he found himself. The idea is that Abram was now committed to God. To seeking after God and His promises. Consequently, wherever he moved, he built an altar and established, number one, a place where he could worship God. And number two, a place where he could testify to God. He built altars. And in verse number 8, the Bible says, He called on the name 
of the Lord. But I want you to notice verse number 9. Because with number 9, number 9 brings a change. Because number 9 says, so Abram journeyed. Now he's on the move again. He's built altars everywhere he has been. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar. He called upon the name of the Lord. So now Abram has packed up again and he's on the move again. But this time he's headed toward the south. Abram is moving in the wrong direction. And then we pick up with with the text that we read earlier. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. Let me tell you something this morning. But before we want to cast stones at Abram for doing what he did, let's let's look at something. Now listen, I I am not, nor does the Bible... I give give any credit or or any credence or say that it's okay for us to disobey the Lord. But as happens to everyone, Abram's faith was met with a major challenge. His journey began well, but now Abram is to have an entirely different experience, a tragic experience. That of weak faith. Man has certain basic needs that need to be met. None of the least are food and water, clothing, shelter, health, companionship. And when one of these provisions are threatened, then man has to act to remedy the situation. He must get his need met or he becomes exposed to the ravages of nature and He must attempt to meet the need. The only question is, how will he try to meet the need? So as with Abram, there have been points in your life as well as mine that you have faced certain crises. That there has been a need. And listen, the needs of humanity uh, in, in a lot of cases are legitimate needs. Everybody needs shelter. Everybody needs clothing. Everybody needs food. Everybody needs companionship. God said it's not good that man should live alone. Every person needs companionship. Everybody desires to have health in their in their body, their mind, in their spirit. And when one of those is lacking, then it's incumbent upon us. It's, it's human nature to try to meet that need and try to find out what is it that I can do that's going to satisfy this need that I have. It's a legitimate need. So the question then is how will we try to meet the need? Will will Abram do it by man's methods? That is turning to the world and the world's remedy? Or will he turn to God, trusting God for help? Listen again, the needs of humanity are real. Even those of the flesh, the human body needs nutrients of food to sustain its energy and growth. And without without food, the body withers and will eventually die. And 
And this is a real problem. Man needs food. Brother Lewis called yesterday and and uh, Sister Lewis, as you know, has had had uh, surgery for cancer. And and she's been on, on a liquid diet for quite a length of time and just now beginning to eat soft foods, but but he said since August of last year she's lost fifty pounds. Since February of this year, she's lost thirty pounds. What what is what what is that saying? If if you don't get nutrients from food, the body begins to wither. And it will eventually die. And, and that is a problem. Verse number 10 tells us of the real problem that Abram faced. He, the Bible said, now there was a famine in the land. Abram was facing the possibility. Listen, this was a real problem. When, when the Bible said there was famine in the land, that means food was very, very scarce. That means there were people losing weight. That means that people's clothes began to hang on them. There was nothing to eat. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram was facing the possibility of starvation. He could lose his, his herds of livestock. He could lose some of his herdmen. He was under pressure. Some of his herdmen could have pressured him to move the herds to a nearby country where, where fertile land was available. He was facing a crisis, a severe crisis. God had called him to the promised land and provided all of his needs and had even appeared to him reiterating the promise of the covenant. But what about now? This was a crisis the likes of which he had never faced since leaving his own country. Should he stay here in the promised land and trust God to meet the needs or should he move to a place where his needs could be met and the, and the question and the problem that Abram faced is the question that every one of us faced this morning. We've got an opportunity. We've got a choice. Do I stay where God has placed me and God meet my needs? Or do I move to a place where my needs can be met? Listen, here is where we often fail God. In a time of crisis, we fail to take into consideration the fact that if God has called you to a certain place, God will sustain you there. It matters not to God the state of the economy because God has never predicated His actions relative to the economy. God will take care of you wherever He plants you if you will trust in Him. God will take care of every need. Amen. So what to do, Abram? Trust God in the place where He called you or go back into the world to find the answer to your crisis? Abram would be turning away from God's promise seeking once again the provisions and supplies of the world. But it all seemed so reasonable. It all seemed so necessary. And even when the crisis is averted, he could go back to the land of promise. It seemed, it seemed like the right thing to do, right? It seemed like the thing to do. 
It seemed like the best thing that I can do is leave the land that God called me to and God has helped me and God's blessed me and God's provided for me up to this very point in time. But now there's a crisis and the Bible says it was a severe crisis. So what to do? Do we go down in Egypt? There's fertile land there. There's pastures for the flocks. There's food for the people. So what what do we do? It seems like the right thing to do, doesn't it? There's only one problem with that. Solomon writes in Proverbs 14 and 12, and he reiterates it again in in chapter number 16, letting us know that this is something that's important. He said, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That phrase, seemeth right, comes from, comes from a Hebrew word that means convenient. It seems to be a convenient thing. Abram, look at here. Egypt is just right here. We've been traveling to the south. Egypt is just right here. It looks to me like it's the convenient thing to do. Just to leave the land of promise for just a little while. And and let's go down there. And there's plenty of food. There's plenty of provision. And later when the crisis has been averted, we can come back into the promised land. It, It seems convenient. It seems to be the right thing. It seems to be upright. It seems to be pleasing. But can I tell you something this morning? Sometimes what appears to be convenient and to be just and to be straight and to be upright is the wrong way to go. That way will lead to disappointment. It will lead to failure. And it will even lead to death. So no matter what the world has to offer, remaining in the place God has placed you is always the right thing to do. Amen. Because I say again, it doesn't matter what is lacking in the land. God is always going to take care and provide for His people. In some manner, God will do the the undoable. What you can't do... God will always do if you will trust in Him. So Abram, as every man must, made his choice. He went to Egypt for the help that God had already promised. God told him, I'll bless you and I'll make your name great and and you shall be a blessing. But even with the promise of God in his mind, he still went to Egypt for help. I'm aware that the famine was severe. The Bible says so. But there is no scriptural record, and listen to me, there's no scriptural record where Abram is found seeking God's face for the crisis. No place found. Did he? Did he take the matter to God and ask God's help to know what to do? Abram failed to consider the surety of the promises of God. If God promised to bless him and make his name great, then let me tell you, 
That certainly is what God is capable of doing. If God promises you anything, it doesn't matter how dire your circumstance may be. But if God promises, I'm telling you, God is well able to keep and to perform that which He has promised to you. Amen. It doesn't matter what it looks like. God can and God will do that. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 1 and 20. He said, For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him are amen unto the glory of God by us. What Paul is telling the church is, if God promised it, you just hang on to that. Amen. No matter what the world is doing, no matter how good it looks that the world has got it, you hang on to the promise of God because God will perform what he said. He told the church in Rome in chapter 4 and verse 21 of Romans, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. So let me ask you a question. If there was severe famine in the land, would God sustain Abram? If Abram trusts Him, the answer is absolutely He would have. If God promises, you can count on God to perform the promise. But now, but now Abram, Abram is in Egypt now. And the Bible said, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, that it came to pass that when he was close to entering into Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you're a beautiful woman, or you're a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that They'll say, this is his wife, and they'll kill me, but, but they will let you live. You say, well, how did, how did Abram know? Abram had no idea that they would kill him for that woman. Let me tell you something right now. It's still in the culture of the Middle East. Human life means very little. It means very little. And in Abram's day, it, 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 if, if they had killed Abram for Sarah, it wouldn't be the first man that ever lost his life over a beautiful woman. Abram knew the, 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 the custom of that time. He knew. We're, we're going and we'll probably find ourselves in front of Pharaoh. She's a beautiful woman. And Pharaoh is a red-blooded male just like every other red-blooded male. And he's going to look at that woman and he's going to say that's his wife. And because she's beautiful, I want her. And, and because I want her, I'll kill him in order to get her into my harem. Abraham knew what he was facing. He knew the culture of the day. So he said, look, look, this is what's going to happen once once we get there. But I'm asking you, verse number 13, please say you're just my sister. Now listen to me. I know this is not a real 
This is not a, a, a real evangelistic message this morning. But when we put ourselves in the place of being disobedient to God, the first thing you're going to try to do is start looking out for your own self. We become selfish. Self-preservation is the word of the day. And indeed, this is what is happening to Abram. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I might live because of you. Listen, Sarah, I don't want to die simply because you're a beautiful woman. I don't want to lose my head over the fact that, that at your age you're still a beautiful woman and Pharaoh is going to want to take you into his harem. Please, I'm asking you, please save my life and tell them that you're just simply my sister. So it was. When Abram came into Egypt, that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh saw her and in essence went to Pharaoh and said, listen, there's a man coming out of the land of Canaan. He's got his family with him. He's a herdsman. Got their flocks. I'm telling you right now, Pharaoh, with that man is one of the most beautiful women you've ever laid eyes on. And I promise you, Pharaoh's ears perch straight up. A beautiful woman, huh? Yes. They commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he treated Abram well for Sarai's sake. He had sheep. He gave oxen. He had male donkeys. He had male and female servants. He had female donkeys and camels. But listen, in the process of time, the Bible said, even though all of this was happening, Abram is saying, oh, she's my sister. Pharaoh takes her into his harem. He blesses Abraham with all of this livestock. Things seem to be going well. Abram's beginning to think, God, God, is, God is having favor on me. I'm going to save my life. God's blessing me. It, 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 it never seemed to cross Abram's mind what Sarah was about to experience. It never seemed to cross Abram's mind that, that, that the fact was that Sarah at some point was going to find herself in the bedchamber of the Pharaoh. It never seemed to bother the mind of Abram what Sarah was going to experience because of a lie and disobedience to God. It never crossed his mind. I'm going to tell you something that crossed the mind of God. Because the Bible said, But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of, not because of Abram, because of Sarah. It's almost like God is looking down and He sees the situation. 
He sees what's about to happen to, to Sarah. And he says, tell you what, I'm fixing to intervene here because I got somebody I made great promises to that is in violation of my covenant. He's in disobedience. And the next thing he did when he found himself in disobedience is he lied about who his wife is. And now that she has been taken into the house of Pharaoh, I'm going to have to step in here. I'm not doing it for his sake. He's disobedient. He's a liar right now. I'm not doing this to perfect, to, to, to protect Abram's hide. I'm not doing this to protect Abram's skin. I'm doing this simply because of Sarai. I am going to plague a Pharaoh and I'm going to plague his entire house and with great plagues, the Bible said. And this is the sole reason God said he's doing it. I'm doing it for that woman. I'm doing it for her. I'm not doing it for him. Oh, he'll benefit. But, but right now he's in disobedience and he's lied. I'm going to do this to protect her. And God said, it's his wife because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram then. And he said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me to begin with? She was your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her. As my wife. Now I want you to notice what's happening. Because when Pharaoh asked these questions of Abram. He's asking him in an accusatory manner. Why did you tell me what you told me? It's in this moment of time. That Pharaoh has more integrity and credibility than Abram has. And yet Abram has been called of God. Out of Ur of the Chaldees with the promise of God on his life. But yet Abram finds himself in disobedience. And now he lies. He lies to, to Pharaoh because of the fear that he was going to lose his wife or, or lose his life. And now, and now Pharaoh is demanded of him. Why did you tell me this? Why did you do this to me? Why did you say she is my sister? Because I might have taken to her as, as my wife. Now, therefore, take your wife. She's not your sister, as you have said. Take your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men, the Bible said, concerning him. And, and they sent him away. With his wife and all that he had. He left there. He left Pharaoh's court. Ultimately, he did find himself back in the land of Canaan, in the land of promise. But I'm going to tell you there's two things that he left in Egypt when he left Pharaoh's court he left his reputation.
as God's man and he left his integrity. Because Pharaoh asked him, in, in essence, why did you not tell me the truth? You lied to me. I gave you all of this stuff for that woman that you told me was your sister. This was Abram's loss in this occasion. He lost his reputation and he lost his integrity. Because when we find ourselves in a place of disobedience, we find ourselves in a position to try to self-preserve. And when we try to self-preserve without consulting God, we find ourselves outside of the promises of the Lord. Amen. Did Abram recover? Oh yes, he, he recovered. And if we go there next week, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that there, was, there was obviously a changed man the next major incident in Abram's life. But what I'm wanting to leave with you this morning in closing is that in this world, this world, this world in which we are living right now is screaming for you to compromise your reputation and your integrity. Amen? Compromise your reputation, and your integrity. Now, we, we're, we're faced with crisis. And, and we can do like Abram. We can look around and we can say, well, it's, it's kind of bad. The world is bad and it's getting worse. And, and, and you would be entirely correct because it is bad and it is getting worse. But when we look around to try to preserve ourselves... And find ourselves going the direction of the world. The first thing you do is try to preserve your own self. At the expense of lying. And we lose our reputation. And we lose our integrity. Amen. And this world is screaming. It is demanding. That you come down off your Christian pedestal so to speak. And you compromise to the effect. You don't have to be like us, but you will accept us for who we are and what we are. And if we head that direction, we're in trouble. We're faced with a choice. Abram was faced with a choice. Listen, thank God that there are people beginning to recognize People that are not apostolic. People that don't belong to the United Pentecostal Church International. That are recognizing what's happening and they are beginning to stand up and resist the resister. They're beginning to rebel against the rebellion. And start crying for what is right and what is upright and what has integrity. And the choice is ours today. I was saddened to read the news report that says in some public schools in the state of Utah, the King James Version of the Bible has been outlawed. 
You can't take it to school. You can't read it. You can't quote it. Why? Because of one parent. I started to say one stinking parent. Because of one parent whose child came home complaining about the presence of Bibles in the school, that one parent said it's got to be taken out. If you're going to take these others out of school, you're going to have to take this out too because this is a violent book. This book speaks of war. This book speaks of murder. This book speaks of licentiousness. This book speaks of uh, of idolatry. This book speaks of adultery. So if you're going to take other violent books out of the school system, you're going to have to include this one as well. And the school board capitulated. Got a choice. Abram, you got a choice. God has made great and precious and positive promises to those who would trust Him. But we're faced with crisis today almost on a daily basis as to what are you going to do about this? How are you going to handle this? Now we can capitulate and we can head to Egypt. But in Egypt, there's ultimately going to be death and there's going to be destruction. I'm telling you, we better stand with God today. It doesn't matter what the economy looks like around us. It doesn't matter what the world is doing. I understand we are on a a fast horse race to the end of time. And the one world government, the one world economic system, and the one world religion. We're racing that direction. But we've got to stand. We've got to stand with the promises of God. Amen. 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 You see, people cry for... You know, to get books out of this and get books out of that. There, there's a danger of that. You say, well, that don't need to be in school libraries. I agree. I agree. I agree. But see, you might need to be careful as to what you want to outlaw from a civil government standpoint. Because you could eventually be outlawed yourself. I'm not saying we stand for it and say, oh, it's okay. And no, no, it's not okay. But before, before you call for a total book burning, you might ought to be careful because this could be included in the list. That could be included in the list. So what do you do? What do you do? You do what the church is supposed to do anyway. You try to save the lost. If you save the lost, they won't want those books. If you save the lost, they won't be turning in that direction. If you save the lost, they're, they're, they're going to reject that anyway. But be careful what we stand up and want to outlaw because that could very well turn back around and outlaw everything that we stand for and say is right. Is it a travesty? That the that a school system in Utah has made this decision. Absolutely it is. And we can say, well, they're going to pay for that. They, oh, yeah, they will. They will. They will. But in the meantime, in the process of that, 
we may do some paying ourselves if we're not careful. I'm not saying we cross into Egypt. We got to stay out of Egypt. We got to stay away from their ways. We got to stay away from the, the solutions of Egypt. And we got to trust God. And we got to keep our focus where it needs to be. If Abram, in this context, had kept his focus squarely on God, God would have taken care of him in the middle of that severe famine that was in the land. But he lost his focus. He lost his sight. And he found himself squarely in the dregs of Egypt until he could recover. Amen? Amen. God bless you.